Well, it was uh, early on the morning of the 9th of July, 1982, when a 31-year-old Michael Fagan uh, climbed a 14-foot high wall topped with spikes and barbed wire. And after he got over the wall, he then climbed up a drain pipe on the side of a building and gained access into the building through a window, dodging footmen and armed policemen along the way. And a few minutes later, after entering the building, he walked into a bedroom. Now, the building that Michael Fagan had broken into was none other than Buckingham Palace. And uh, the bedroom that he walked into belonged to none other than Queen Elizabeth II. The Queen woke to find this strange man sitting at the end of her bed, uh, dressed in jeans and a dirty T-shirt. He dripped blood onto the royal linens uh, from a lacerated hand. Uh, remaining calm, uh, the Queen picked up the phone beside a bed and uh, she asked the, the operator at the palace switchboard to summon the police. Now, the police were actually quite slow in responding. And so, for the next 12 minutes... The Queen was left alone with this deranged man. And during that time, Michael Fagan and Her Royal Highness chatted. That's right, they chatted. Uh, mostly, uh, Fagan wanted to talk about love. Uh, but the Queen changed the subject to family matters. Uh, Fagan thought it was a real coincidence that both she and the Queen had four children. Uh, at one point, Fagan even asked the Queen if she happened to have a spare cigarette at which she promptly called the palace switchboard for a second time. <laughs> Later, Fagan's mother was quoted as saying, Oh, he thinks so much of the Queen. I can imagine him just wanting to simply talk and say hello and discuss his problems. <laughs> uh, when the public learned of the incident, well, there was outrage at the lapse of security around their Queen. Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher personally apologised to the Queen and measures were immediately taken to strengthen palace security. And I'm sure you can understand the outrage. I mean, this sort of thing is not supposed to happen. You can't just waltz on up to the Queen of England whenever you want and expect to have a casual chat with her. That's crazy. And so then, why is it that we Christians think that we can have a close personal relationship with God, the king of the whole universe. In fact, why do we think that we can have anything at all to do with him? You know, could it be that we too are just a little bit deranged? Well, it's a question that I want us to think about this morning as together we look at Psalm 24. And if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me there to, to Psalm 24. Uh, it's page 860 of the church Bibles, if you're using one of them. Now, Psalm 24 was written by King David around 1000 BC. We can see that there in the title up the top where it says, Of David, a psalm. And uh, David begins this psalm by reminding us of who God is. Uh, that he's the one who has created everything, and so the one who owns it all. Uh, read with me from verse 1. Verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Yes, the, the world and, and everything in it, including us humans, was created by God and for God. 
Uh, the fact is, we belong to him. He is the sovereign Lord of all. So David now goes on to ask the obvious question. Uh, that is, who qualifies to approach it and have relationship with this creator God? Or, as he puts it, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Now, you, might, you might remember that at the time David wrote this psalm, God had chosen the city of Jerusalem to be his special dwelling place on earth. Uh, you may also remember that Jerusalem was built on a hill, uh, Mount Zion. So that's why David now asks the question, who is qualified to, to, to ascend this hill and meet there with this holy God? And the answer? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. Those with clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, those who live according to the Creator's ways, with godly actions and, and, and godly motives. It's people who turn from idols and worship God alone. And what is it like for these people when they actually enter God's presence? You know, is it like finding yourself in a stern school principal's office? Oh, the memories. <laughs> well, no, not at all. Not at all. According to David, it's, it's warm and personal. With God blessing and honouring his guests. Here, read with me from verse 3. Verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Yeah, far from the frostiness of the school principal's office, uh, this encounter, it's more like a meeting at the arrivals terminal at Sydney Airport. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever stood at the bottom of those ramps as people walk down, walk off the ramps and you see what happens? The hugs and the kisses and the smiles. The, well, that is the kind of warm, joyful reception awaiting those qualified to come into God's presence that is, those with clean hands and pure hearts. But now the scene in the psalm changes. And uh, David turns our attention from, from worshippers ascending Mount Zion to, to a king who's entering the city. A warrior king who, it seems, has been off fighting for his people and who has now returned to Jerusalem. A king so glorious... So magnificent, it's as though the, the massive gates of the wall surrounding Jerusalem have bowed their heads before him, you know, in a, in a closed position. But the psalmist cries out for them to, to lift their heads, that is to, to open up, that the, that the king of glory might enter and take his place on the throne among his people. And who is this king of glory? Well, according to David, it's none other than God himself. He is the mighty warrior king who fights for his people and has come to dwell with them, 
Here, read with me from verse 7. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. And, and with that, the psalm ends. It's a fascinating psalm, isn't it? A psalm in which we're reminded that God created the world and everything in it. That, that he is the sovereign Lord of all. And yet we also see that, that those who genuinely seek God and, and live with pure hands and hearts are warmly welcomed into his presence that he might care for them and, and protect them. And we see that God is a divine warrior who goes to battle for his people, that he might live among them. Yes, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture depicting God's great desire to be in close fellowship with his people and his desire to bless them and care for them. Of course, there's really only one problem with it all, and maybe you've already spotted it. This psalm makes it clear that in order to enjoy this kind of intimate relationship with God, well, you must first have pure hands and hearts. In other words, we've got to live according to the, the totally righteous standards of the perfectly holy God. So let me ask, do you think you got what it takes? Really? I mean, never, never told a lie, never lusted after something or, or someone that didn't belong to you, never ever said a hurtful word, you've been pure in all your thoughts and motives. Doesn't take too much self-examination, does it, to recognise that, well, not one of us actually qualifies to enter the presence of God. It's the problem the Bible calls sin, and it is the universal human condition that makes it unthinkable for, for any of us to have anything to do with God. You know, it's like when Michael Fagan entered the Queen's bedroom and got blood and muck all over her bedspread. It was outrageous. But our situation's worse, because this is God that we're talking about, and we are filthy with damnable sin. Every one of us. Even King David himself acknowledged this universal problem in Psalm 14, where he wrote, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see, it is the universal problem of sin, uh, the problem that will keep you and me out of God's presence and away from all of his blessings forever. So I wonder how that makes you feel. Well, friend, I can tell you how it made God feel. It made him feel like 
fighting for us. Like going to battle in order to conquer that sin that stood between him and the people he loved. In fact, whether he knew it or not, as David wrote Psalm 24, he was actually describing that time 1,000 years later when God himself would indeed come to fight for his people. The time when God would enter our world, born as a human baby, named Jesus, uh, the historical reality of which we just celebrated at Christmas. But of course, the, the baby Jesus grew into a man. And on the Sunday, the Sunday before he died, Jesus ascended Mount Zion and entered Jerusalem, just as David prophesied here in this psalm. As Jesus entered the city, he was welcomed by a crowd who hailed him as God's glorious saving king. Hosanna, they shouted. God has come to save us. Hosanna to the son of David, they cried. You see, Jesus was entering Jerusalem as the divine warrior, the one who would fight for his people. But there was something unusual about this warrior king. Because he didn't come in riding on a mighty war horse, but rather on a hum humble donkey. Why? Well, because unbeknownst to the cheering crowd, this mighty king would not shed the blood of his enemies, but rather allow his own blood to be shed to rescue them. Ironically, in the centuries after David wrote Psalm 24, it became part of the temple songbook and uh, was designated to be sung on a Sunday. Perhaps the priests were even singing it as Jesus entered the city. It's ironic because those same priests were already conspiring to kill Jesus on a cross. And so it was that just five days later on the Friday, uh, the King of Glory was mockingly robed in royal purple and a crown, not of gold, but of cruel thorns, was placed on his head. And then he, the Almighty, allowed himself to be led out of Jerusalem, down Mount Zion and up another hill, the hill of Golgotha, where he was nailed to a cross and left to die. Why? So that he who alone had clean hands and a pure heart, might bear the punishment for our dirty hands and impure hearts. In other words, he was shut out of God's presence so that we could be invited in. On the cross, Jesus, the creator of the world, died for the sins of the world. It reminds me of that song we sometimes sing here at church, uh, Jerusalem. Do you know the one? Where it says, See the king who made the sun and the moon and shining stars. Let the soldiers hold and nail him down so that he could save them. Friends, that's our king of glory. The one who fought for you and me by humbly dying on a cross for our sin. Of course, three days later, God blessed and vindicated Jesus, raising him to life again. And then, 40 days after that, he ascended once more. Not up a mountain this time, but the sky, 
entering the very gates of heaven to receive from his father the honour he deserved and to enjoy his presence forever. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus, Jesus now offers the exact same access to all who trust and follow him. As it says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word peace means so much more than just the absence of hostility. No, it means a close, personal relationship of love and commitment, of warmth and and mutual delight. That's the kind of relationship we have with God when we put our trust in Jesus. It's why the writer of Hebrews encourages us to make the most of that relationship, saying, let us uh, then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now we have a relationship with God where he looks upon us not as dirty sinners, but rather as his forgiven, beloved children who are welcome into his presence anytime. It's a beautiful truth, isn't it? A beautiful, beautiful truth. But sadly, one I think that we Christians often take for granted. One that we Christians, I think, you know, almost yawn at. So easily forgetting just how how truly astonishing it is. It's like gravity. (laughs) Take it for granted, don't we? But I tell you what, life would be a whole lot different without it. And so I reckon it's worth us stopping for a moment and considering what it is that we have in Jesus. What it is that we have that, you know, most of the world does not. In her new book, Finding Faith, Naomi Reed shares stories of people around the world coming to faith in Jesus. And in it, we get a glimpse of just how, how foreign our understanding of God is to the vast majority of the world. So, for example, for example, there's Sarah, Sarah, who, who shares what it was like for her to grow up Hindu. Okay, so she explains, back then, there seemed to be so many gods, 30 million of them. I remember that my mum would pray in the corner of the house to all of them. Every morning and every night, I knew that if I didn't do the right thing, the gods would be upset and bad things would happen to me. I was so scared. I I tried to be good, but I was never sure if I was good enough. There didn't seem to be any hope. Now, what sort of relationship is that? Such, such fear and insecurity, such hopelessness. Or, or there's Christy. Christy, who lived many years as a Buddhist. She says, in, in Singapore, there is a feeling of uncertainty about life and the future. So we would often go to the Buddhist temple and pray for protection, peace, health and wealth. We had a general idea of doing good for the purpose of securing a place in heaven. We are told that there are 18 levels of hell and that life is a cycle. Humans are always reincarnating and coming back as something else. But if we do good things on earth, the higher the chance we will have of reaching heaven 
or at least of not being in such a bad level of hell. You see, there's no sense of peace or assurance here, is there? There's no true joy or delight, none at all. Then there's Hammer, Hammer, who, who grew up in a Kurdish Muslim family. He explains, My mother prayed to Allah every day by rote, memorising the prayers in Arabic. She didn't speak Arabic or understand it at all. She spoke Kurdish, so she didn't understand the Arabic that she prayed, but she kept praying it. It seemed like a ritual to me, and every day my mother would kneel on the ground in the morning before sunrise, and then five times through the day, praying the Quran. She didn't know what she was praying. See, there's no real personal relationship here. It's just reciting meaningless words on a page. And yet that's typical. Or then there's Kareem. Kareem who describes life as a voodoo worshipper in Africa. There is one God called Mahu. Mahu is in charge of everything. He rules everything. He decides everything. But he is very distant No one can speak to him. So there are many voodoo spirits, maybe 200 of them, little gods to talk to. The voodoo spirits come out at night to check on the town. It sounds like the wind, but we know what it is. I was so scared of the voodoo. I'd stay awake all night if I heard it. Sometimes the voodoo would come to our front door and just stay there. No one can go outside when it comes out, so we could never see it. If we went out, we would be killed. You know, is that a relationship full of warmth and and love and blessing? Hardly. Do you get it? Do you get it? For For most people in the world, their experience of a higher power, it's marked with fear and uncertainty and distance and detachment. Because the relationship depends on their performance and not on God's saving grace. But Christians, that is not what we have. What we have is wonderful and unique. We have a God, the one true God, who longs for us to know him. A God who's always there, always listening, always blessing. And because he has already paid the price for our sin, his door is always open. And in that, we can truly rejoice. Now, of course, there'll be times when it's hard for us to feel this closeness with God. There'll be times when it'll be hard for us to feel his love and affection. Oh, but it is always there. And it's like when you're standing at the lookout at Echo Point up at Katoomba. Some days you see this amazing view of, of the Three Sisters and the, the Jamison Valley. And it's just so majestic, so breathtaking and then there are other days you go there and there's a thick fog clouding the view you know what I'm talking about but the three sisters in the Jamison Valley are still there aren't they they're just hidden from sight and the truth is God is always with us whether our feelings cloud him from our view or not and should we ever doubt that then we need only remember Psalm 24 and the lengths 
to which our divine warrior went to fight for us. That we might be with him forever. And so, friends, when we sin, there's no need for us to hide from God in fear. No, no. Let's come to him. Let's go to him. Let's let's ascend the mountain of the Lord, so to speak, and confess it right away. And and when we're stressed and overwhelmed with life, well, let's in those times, let's, let's choose to stand in his holy place and pour out our hearts to him in prayer. And when we're in those times we just don't know what to do, well, in those moments, let's let's choose to seek his face. Ask for his wisdom. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive from God all his promised blessings. Yeah, friend, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege it is to be a Christian, to live each day in the loving presence of our creator God. Of course, Michael Fagan was crazy to think that he could ever have a warm personal relationship with the Queen of England. But friends, we Christians would be crazy not to enjoy a warm personal relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, our King of glory. Let's talk to our Heavenly Father right now, shall we? Let's draw close to him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your uh, deep love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus as our divine warrior, the one who fought for us on the cross and who gave us victory over the power of sin. Thank you that uh, because he has gone before us into your presence, we're now invited to boldly come before you too, that we might know you personally and, and, and warmly now and forever. Father, we pray for the many in our world who don't yet have what we have, Please use us to share with them the good news of Jesus. And we pray for those among us who struggle to enjoy a close relationship with you. Uh, Please help us to trust your unceasing love for us, uh, that we might be filled with assurance and, and peace as we seek you and enjoy you forever. Amen.